We are live. We're rolling. We're going to be talking about John Calvin and Grace. Finding ourselves with uh, our friends over at Christian Courier. Christian Courier dot... Let me see here. Dot com. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was dot org or dot com. But Christian Courier dot com. Our brother Wayne Jackson, may he rest in peace. Going to read an article he wrote called John Calvin and Grace. And you and I together... Reading through the article will certainly um, give our running commentary and the things we've studied and the things we've seen and experienced throughout, well, for me personally, I guess 12 years now. It ain't much, but it's 12 years, I guess. It's worth something somewheres. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so housekeeping stuff, by all means, please consider subscribing to the channel, give us a thumbs up, leave us a comment, share the link far and wide, sign up to um, addedsouls.locals.com. You can sign up there for free and you can choose to support monthly. It goes towards uh, the gospel work we are involved with, the Added Souls Ministry, the Maya family, and the um, mission uh, with the East Coast Church of Christ.com. John Calvin and Grace. Um, John Calvin, Calvinism, right? Um, we've seen, if you've been in the church for an, an amount of time, a given amount of time, you, you, you're familiar with uh, the doctrines, the worldview of Calvinism. You might not know it was uh, categorized or descriptively so uh, Calvinism or from John Calvin and what who he was and what he taught. But it has been my limited experience, a decade plus, uh, over here on the east coast of Canada in this mission and evangelizing and sharing the good news of our Lord and Master with individuals, the accurate, rightly handled scripture that we can read, you and I together, the experience has been um, pretty much, I don't even know if I can think of one case, one account I sat down with an individual of this community who claimed to be a Christian or a believer in Christ uh, of sorts, uh, who was not uh, a Calvinist, whether he or she knew it or not. Some do know, and they verbally say they are. We are, you know, Calvinist, or we um, are those who adhere to John Calvin's worldview and things of like that. Many don't. I've also spoken to brethren. Christians in the Lord's church, the church Jesus built, uh, and uh, many of them uh, also um, believe certain tenets of Calvinism, things along the lines of, well, you know, I had to become the miraculous recipient of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to understand the Bible. I could not understand the Bible prior to my receiving the Holy Spirit, things like that, uh, stem from Calvinism's worldview. Uh, I've had to study this pretty deeply. I'm not saying I'm a scholar in the field or anything, but I've studied it. I've gone to school. I've studied these things at school, and I've studied them on my own time and dime, if you will, um, with uh, evangelizing and sitting down and studying with people and all that kind of good stuff. I've read the books. You know, I've I've um, looked at the uh, the greater depth of their doctrines and the things that Calvinism teaches and what they believe and all that kind of stuff. Again, I'm not a pro or anything, but I, I take, I tend to take from what they say. Like if I want to know about Calvinism, I'll listen to a Calvinist. If I want to know about Catholicism, I'll listen to Catholicism. 
If I want to know about the Baptist Church, I'll listen to the Baptist Church. If I want to know about Pentecostalism, I'll listen to the Pentecostals, the Methodists, uh, the Wesleyans, the Gospel Halls, the House of Nazareth, the Salvation Army, the uh, Anabaptists, the Mennonites, the Amish, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you name it. When you want to know something, you have to speak to the people who believe the worldview. So you look at their creeds, their statements of faith, their uh, manuals, their um, dogmas, if you will, as well, their, their teachings, what they believe. And therein you formulate, oh, okay, this is what they believe. Because if not, then we, then we can misunderstand what it is that they believe. And then we find ourselves arguing or creating arguments that have no bearing on the interaction because they just don't believe what you're saying they believe. Right? So it's, in, it's, in, it's important for us to look into what it is they teach. And I've, I've been doing that, obviously, throughout the years and just listening to their to their teachings and what they, how they operate and everything. And so a great many of us and brethren alike, uh, we listen to them and what they teach. And then we create articles. We write articles based on what it is they teach. And, uh, that's probably going to be the case, obviously with, uh, the article here from our brother Wayne Jackson. And, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Shall we? Let me see here. John Calvin and grace. Wayne Jackson over at, Chris, at ChristianCourier.com. Great many articles over there. A lot of wonderful sound uh, material over at uh, ChristianCourier.com with our brother Wayne Jackson. I don't agree with everything that brother Jackson positioned himself with in regards to academic pursuits or matters of one's personal conscience or opinion, scruple, things like that. But doctrinally so, uh, very like-minded, uh, because we can read it in the Bible, and that's what the Bible says. So we want to follow what the Bible says. Okay, so Wayne Jackson over here, John Calvin and Grace. Let me start with the article. It says, One of the most influential religious figures of the last millennium was John Calvin of, do you know where he was from? Switzerland. Calvin was born in, do you know, 1509. We had to memorize these things. I remember in school, uh, we had to memorize these things. At the age of 14, he went to Paris to study the classics. He was so austere that his fellow students nicknamed him, quote, the accusative case, end quote. In 1529, he commenced the study of civil law. Presently, though, Calvin became intrigued with the teachings of the German reformers and so gave himself to the study of religion. In 1533, he broke with the Roman Catholic Church after a religious, quote, experience during which he believed he received a commission from God to restore the church to its original purity. And may I say, or insert here and there, I agree with that. I've studied Catholicism. Catholicism was the religion of our forefathers and the land I was born and raised, my family, my community, my people, my culture. 
Catholicism was the religion we were given. It was the only church in our community, was the only church allowed in our community. Any other church would have been protesting Protestants, and we can't allow that. So we were born and raised in Catholicism, and so when you want to know about Catholicism, you have to go to the history of Catholicism. And of course, when you have a free-thinking mind, there was a time, of course, I despised religion, and I entertained the worldview of godlessness and uh, all that kind of stuff. So I couldn't stand Christianity all that much. I didn't like all its facets. I didn't. To me, it seemed like a mishmash of contradiction and you know people living as crazy as the heathens. So why care for anything called Christianity? Uh, basically, a religion of don'ts. Yeah, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Well, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't. You know, all that kind of stuff. Anyways. So looking into Catholicism, interestingly enough, and this, of course, is objective. It's an objective absolute. It's a matter of one's... Uh, you, you can seek this information. It's not my truth and your truth is different, okay? This is the truth. It's very different. People don't understand that in this world of subjectivity where people do not believe in the truth. Well, the truth exists. Whether they accept it or not is of no consequence to the truth. Whether I live today and die tomorrow, the truth remains. It was before me, it is now, and it will be after I pass away. So that's something that sadly folks have lost, which is why we believe that there is more than two genders and, you know, all that kind of ridiculous woke nonsense from the left that we see uh, bombarding us by the hour uh, uh, in public life. Well, the objective absolute truth of Catholicism before we get into Calvinism. And so you'll understand a bit of background as to why this here part of the article says in 1533, he broke with the Roman Catholic Church after a religious experience during which he believed he received a commission from God to restore the church to its original purity. Uh, purity. No, I do not believe. As a matter of fact, I know as a fact he did not receive a religious experience a miraculous endowment from God somehow in his brain that told him, you know, you need to restore the church. That's information he would have read and he would have been aware of, something that would have been available to whoever could put their hands on it, if you will, at the time. Anyways, he, he removed himself. What I do agree with is to return to the purity of the church. Well, the church was never the Catholic church. Here's where, of course, the objective absolute of our history and recorded so reveals. The church Jesus built was in the first century, and it was built either 30 AD or 33 AD. That's the church of the Christ. The Christ built a church. He said he would, he did. It was witnessed and recorded in an in inspired history, okay? It was built, again, some scholars say 30 AD, some others say 33 AD. Me, personally, I, I, think, it's in, I think it's 30 AD, but that aside, okay? Therein was the time in which the church Jesus built. He said he was going to build it. He built it. This church, it was birthed from the mind of God. It was being prophesied by the prophets of the Old Testament. It was promised by the Christ, and it was purchased by his blood. And all this came to be. It was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, where the outpouring power of the Holy Spirit came upon the twelve chosen vessels, the apostles, who stood up among the people and proclaimed the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ. Basically, they put guilt to the hands of the Jews who had given Jesus to the hands of the godless in order to be crucified because the Jews and their governing power 
did not allow them capital punishment. So they had to construct a corrupt court case, if you will, in order to deliver it to the Romans, who had the power of their government and policies and politics to perform, to practice capital punishment. Anywho, they heard the message. The Jews who warmly received the message, well, they were pierced to the heart. Obviously, they believed the message. They could see the evidence in which the apostles were speaking because it was the words of the Holy Spirit. They were governed by the Holy Spirit. And therein, all who warmly received the message were legally uh, qualified to become citizens of the kingdom in which Christ was now crowned king. In all simpleness, they could become Christians and be part of the church Jesus built. And that's what they did when they were immersed, born again, out of water and the spirit. Now, there's an ocean of false teaching out there that say all kinds of different stuff. But if you have a free-thinking mind, and you can open the Bible for yourself and read it for yourself, that's exactly what you're going to read there. If you don't go to your pastors and your priests and your popes and your reverends and your moms and dads and neighbors and co-workers and families and everyone else, if you actually just go to the Bible and read it for yourself, that's exactly what you're going to find there. It might take you a while, but it's there. It took me years, but it's there. It took my father years, but it's there. So... All those who obeyed the gospel, and that is verbiage from the Bible. Paul spoke those very words to Christians in Thessalonica and in various other locations in the scriptures. They obeyed the gospel. When they obeyed the gospel, by being repentant believers, confessing Christ as their Lord and Master, qualifying to the new birth, they were immersed, plunged, dipped, submerged, clothed, and buried. Whatever description you're seeking for, there's a Bible verse for that. And they came up out of that water, added to the church Jesus built. God added them there when they obeyed. How did that work? Faith. They needed faith. Without faith, you can't be pleasing to God. Hebrews 11.6. Faith is the necessary component. You have to trust in Jesus so much, so much so, that when you believe in him, you see that water, you see the tomb of Jesus Christ. So you want to go inside the tomb, buried with him in the tomb, and resurrect with him to a newness of life, born again, saved, forgiven of your sins, added to the church. Paul himself told the Christians in Corinth that when you are baptized, you are baptized into the church, the location of salvation where the forgiven are found. And that's a unique location. That's the church Jesus built. It was built. It is recorded. And it was in 30 AD. Some say 33 AD on the day of Pentecost. Okay? It's all there for you. Really. If you read the Bible without any foreign elements contaminating your thoughts. If you're freely thinking, you're honest, you're genuine, you're seeking the truth, you open that book, you read it, I'm telling you, it's there. I've seen, and I've said this many times, sadly, it's true. I've sat down with atheists, and I've sat down with individuals who adhere to various religious positions or denominations, uh, Catholics, Baptists, Pentecostals, Wesleyan, Methodists, Gospel Halls, whatever, right? I've sat down with all of them throughout the decade plus. And I've sat down with atheists. And I've sat down with atheists and I've had them read the Bible, which they do not believe. They don't believe the Bible. They don't believe there's a God. But they'll read it if, you, if you're sitting with them and having a mature, uh, respectable conversation. And they'll read the Bible and they know what the information says there and they'll say it. They'll be like, oh yeah, that's what that says. I've sat down with individuals who 
were either born and raised or whichever way they came about it into various denominations. And I'd have them read the same Bible verses. <laughs> and they couldn't see it. The atheist could. He just chose not to believe it. But the religious denominationalist, he didn't believe what it plainly said. So he had to twist and turn and create a whole new interpretation to the text that don't belong there, that doesn't even fit there, because his mind is loyal and subordinate to his forefathers or the religion he was born and raised in, the denominational worldview he was weaned into or accepted or received or whatever, you know, which is unfortunate, but it is the truth. So all of the information of the church Jesus built is in the scriptures and is recorded there, okay? It's the word of God. It is there in inspired history. What happened when the church of our Lord and Master was built and its doors were opened and all who obeyed became legal citizens of that kingdom, that church, that body of believers, um, time passed. And certain elders of the church Jesus built chose to apostatize, contaminate themselves with Roman government powers and policies and influence. And so what happened is certain elders of the Lord's church, when I say the Lord's church, I mean the church of Christ. And when I say of Christ, I don't, I mean the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Because we know today there are many churches who have a sign outside that says church of Christ or kind of like that in various ways. It doesn't necessarily mean that that church belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, it's the right name, mind you. If you're going to be the church that belongs to Jesus, it's wise to have a church called the church that belongs to Jesus. But many call themselves the church that belongs to Jesus, the church of Christ, but they don't belong to Christ whatsoever in what they teach, how they worship, what they practice, their behaviors, all of that. So what happened in centuries later, after the fact, the church Jesus built was built in 30 A.D., or 33 AD, okay, okay, fine, one of those. Decades and centuries pass from that recorded fact. And people are becoming Christians, members of that church, the church Jesus built. And in the governing instruction of the church Jesus built are local assemblies, right? And in these local assemblies, you find elders. And there are qualifications for men to be elders in the church. Well, some of these, they contaminated themselves and compromised the faith of their Lord and Master in order to withdraw and apostatize and go with Roman power and political influence. And together, they formulated a universal religion which would accommodate the citizenry of their era, which was Judaism paganism, and certain facets of Christianity. And they mishmashed that all together in a universal bowl. And that's what Catholicism means, universal. The Roman Catholic Church. It does not belong to Jesus. It never belonged to Jesus. It will never belong to Jesus. Sadly, millions and 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 millions of people have been deceived into thinking the Roman Catholic Church is the church Jesus built. 
Me and my family were part of that. My community, my people, my culture. For millennia. But the fact is, that church, that universal organization, was built and structured for political power and influence over the world. And it still operates in that same fashion today. You cannot be an honest individual reading the Gospels of Jesus Christ in the Holy Bible, the 66 books of the Holy Bible. Yes, the Roman Catholic Church added uninspired books to the Bible. They added uninspired books to the Holy Bible, the Holy Bible, the 66 books. That church had created a great many political and traditional uh, doctrines to which would be enforced. And that came centuries after the fact that the church Jesus built was well and alive. And though some elders left the Catholic, uh, sorry, the, the church Jesus built and went to create the Catholic church, the church Jesus built remained alive. And it is still alive this day. I was added to that church, the one you can read of in the Bible, that one that is inspired and recorded. So it's available. It's, it's still here, and it will be until Christ returns. So the Roman Catholic power does not belong to Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus, though it speaks as if it does, and therein is the deceit of devils, deceivers. And as I say this, please understand, I am well aware that there are many people who are Catholics, who are morally upright, decent people who would give you the shirt off their back to help you. They are benevolent, and some of them are practicing apologetics. They will defend life. They will defend uh, marriage. They will defend a great... They are morally upright. So I'm not attacking their character. I'm not at all suggesting that suggesting that they are not good moral people in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm simply saying what they believe is a lie, and some of them sadly are firmly convinced that they are headed towards heaven, and they aren't, because they do not belong to Jesus Christ. But they've been meant to think they have, like we were, born and raised in Catholicism. Um, so by the time Calvin comes around, he knows and he can see that what's happening with the Roman Catholic Church is completely corrupt. It's, it's not real, it's not authentic, it's not genuine, it's not what it should be. But his mind's not accurate either, so he swung the pendulum way too far on the other side, and we'll speak a bit more about that as we read the article further. But I found it necessary just to give you a bit of platform, and I, did, I, I mean, I just, what did I do, give you 15 minutes? I mean, we can speak for hours to get into the greater depth of everything and how the Roman Catholic Church came. I give you names. I can give you times and places and dates and all that kind of kind of stuff. But for the purpose of this article, which is John Calvin and Grace, and the section here of the article saying that he broke with the Roman Catholic Church, why did he do that? Well, he he could recognize there was something wrong with it, obviously. But he wasn't accurate enough to go to the text and understand the church that Christ built and be a member of that church, the church Jesus built. So his, his uh, efforts may have been sincere, obviously, 
Sadly, we can be very sincere, sincerely wrong. Look at Paul the Apostle. Paul, prior to his office and task as an apostle, formerly known as Saul, was firmly convinced in his conscience that what he was doing was the right thing by bringing Christians to their demise. He thought that was right before God. He thought he was doing God's will by getting rid of all these pesky Christians. Was he right because he felt he was? Was he right because his conscience told him he was? No, he was wrong because the word of God told him he was wrong. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, the word of God is the truth. Thy word is truth, and it'll set you free. So in 1533, John Calvin broke with the Roman Catholic Church after a religious experience during which he believed he received a commission from God to restore the church to its original purity. Well, again, I applaud his efforts in wanting to restore and wanting to find the truth in one way or another, but the Roman Catholic Church never belonged to Jesus, so he wouldn't be restoring anything there. It's just the Roman Catholic Church never belonged to Jesus. Nonetheless, the article continues, By the year 1536, at the age of only 26, he had completed the first edition of his famous Institutes of the Christian Religion. The initial edition was a small volume of six chapters. The first version, 1560, revised over the years, had grown to 80 chapters. To a significant degree, Calvin's views, which were developed from the writings of Augustine, a, quote, bishop in northern Africa, A.D. 353-430, have formed the doctrinal basis of much of modern Protestantism. And that is the case for sure. In this article, we wish to briefly comment upon John Calvin's influence upon the religi religious community of the subject on the subject of grace. His ideas are circulated in several denominations and tragically have found their way into the thinking of many people. And that is true. Again, as I was explaining, um, in my limited time here, we're 12 years, I think that is, uh, everyone I've sat down with, I mean, I mean, everyone I've sat down with that would claim Christianity as their religious worldview has been a Calvinist. Most did not know that. Some did. Some were like, yeah, I am a Calvinist, but most did not. They just born and raised into it. Don't, don't know what they believe, where it comes from. You just do it. You just do it. It's mom and dad, grandma, grandpa. We just believe it and we do it. And that's the interpretation. So one of Calvin's prominent errors was the notion that man is born totally depraved, having inherited both the effects and the guilt of Adam's original sin. See, he kept that tenet from Catholicism. The Roman Catholic Church would teach that. It's a lie. Jesus never taught that. You will not find that teaching anywhere in the Bible. You have to pluck a verse out of context, twist it, turn it, and falsely interpret it in such a way to make it say something it doesn't say. It just doesn't. But he held to that. So one of Calvin's prominent errors was the notion that man is born totally depraved, having inherited both the effects and the guilt of Adam's original sin. Not true. That's a lie. What do we inherit? The consequences. Very different. 
That's very different. We are conceived. We are in the womb. We are innocent. We are not guilty of sin. We are innocent. Jesus himself saying, leave these children alone. The kingdom belongs to such as these. He would further say, unless you become like these little children, you ain't going to make it. Calvinism greatly misses the mark here. And so does the Roman Catholic Church and an ocean of denominations when they teach this. It's a lie. It's a devil's lie. There's no way around it. If you have a free-thinking mind, an honest, sincere, genuine mind to think freely and open the Bible and look at the context and read it in its context, Jesus at no time ever taught that one is born inherently guilty of sin because of Adam and Eve. You won't find it in Romans. You won't find him, you won't find him in the psalmist. No, all these verses you go to to pluck out of context, it ain't there. We are born within the consequence of sin, a fallen world. That's why we get sick. That's why there's murder. That's why there's all this evil stuff going on. That's why there's poison ivy, okay? <laughs> That's why animals can eat us alive if we allow them. So, yeah, we move forward. Even infants, therefore, have in them the seed of sin, this teaching would, or the worldview of this teaching says. Indeed, their whole nature is a sort of a sin seed, if you will, so, they, so that they cannot be anything other than corrupt before God. And this comes from their own language. This comes from John Calvin and Calvinism and all the denominations that Calvinism operates. It's a lie. There's no way around that. It just is. You can get angry. You can flip out. You can call us every manner of evil you want to. Every It doesn't matter. It's the truth. And if you just receive the truth, it'll set you free. It's so difficult, isn't it? I know. I've been there. I know how difficult it is. Jesus was not crucified because he was just, you know, disagreeing with some opinions. He was crucified because he told religious believers who were firmly convinced they belonged to God through their Abrahamic lineage, that they were lost and damned and needed to repent. Have you ever tried telling people who are firmly convinced they're Christians that they're not? Or who are Christians, but that are firmly convinced they're saved, but they're not? They'll crucify you. At birth, then, all men stand in need of the Lord's grace from this fundamental error, others spring. The article speaks in this category regarding Calvinism. So we enter another section of the article that says limited grace. One of the, co one of the cornerstones of Calvin's uh, theology was the dogma of predestination. This is the notion that Consistent with his own sovereignty, God, before the foundation of the world, predetermined who would be saved and who would be lost. In view of this, when Christ died, his death was efficacious only for the elect. Now, this concept of limited atonement, hence limited grace, is so foreign to the teaching of the scriptures that it's difficult to see how anyone with elementary knowledge of the New Testament could accept it. 
That's an objective, absolute truth. If you read the Bible, void of mental contamination from your pastors and preachers and priests and reverends and whoever and whatever, if you actually are a free-thinking mind and you read the scriptures, you will not find the teaching of only the elect. You have to pluck out words and verses out of their context, twist and turn them, so much so that it just becomes ridiculous. It becomes embarrassing, really. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing how you can read plainly read verses in the scriptures, such as, For the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Titus 2.11 And turn around and say, No, it doesn't mean all men. Ugh. Yes, it does mean all men. Jesus came to save everyone, whoever believes. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe, whosoever, it doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter which geographical location you live, which skin pigmentation you have, which language you speak, your background, your culture, your people, your timeline. It doesn't matter Everyone has opportunity to qualify in being saved by Jesus Christ. This concept of limited atonement is just not found in the Bible. For the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Because God loved the entire world, John 3.16, and so wants all men to be saved, 1 Timothy 2.4, and not a single one to perish, 2 Peter 3, 9, Christ died to be the propitiation for sins, not just for the elect, but potentially for the entire world as well. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. There is no such a thing as born guilty of sin because you've inherited the guilt of sin by Adam and Eve. That's a lie. The only thing we've inherited is the consequence of sin. And when we reach our own independent accountability with the intellectual capability, therein we find ourselves to the law. And we must seek God and return to him because we choose to sin. The other, there is no elect, predetermined. You're either going to be born damned or born saved. God already decided that for you, you don't have a free will, you can't choose anything. That's a devil's lie. It's a devil's lie. And I had to learn that. Irresistible grace, the next category of the article. Calvinism argues that by a secret and special operation of the Holy Spirit, and here's where I was saying some of our own brethren in the church Jesus built, contaminate themselves with Calvinism through this here branch of theology, worldview, if you will. Calvinism argues that by the secret and special operation of the Holy Spirit, God's grace is poured forth upon the elect. Since the extension of his grace or this grace is an act of divine power, it cannot be resisted any more than the original creation could have resisted the creative might of the Lord. And this comes from their own manuals, their own worldview and teachings. How sad is that? How corrupt is that? Here is a well-known practicing rapist and murderer 
thief and gossip who's on the way to heaven because he's got no desire. He can't, you I mean, God said he's going to be saved, so, you know, can't do nothing about it. He got the Holy Spirit. See how confusing that becomes? And you see how a confused world thinks that's Christianity? It isn't. It's a lie. It's a carefully cunning, twisted lie. Twisted lie. But the fact is, the article continues, though God's grace is generously offered, it must be received by the sinner. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, I quote, We entreat also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. It's certainly possible to receive not that which is offered. John chapter 1, verse 11. And if you read the Gospel of John, I believe chapter 6, Jesus was defending his integrity, his equality to the Father as God on earth, and he was exposing the corruption of the religious leaders in his day and spoke of them as unwilling. Friends, you cannot be unwilling of anything if you do not have the ability to be willing of something. Would you like some cake? No, I am unwilling to take some cake. Okay, well, you've practiced your free will to say no and reject and neglect. You were unwilling to take the dessert after your meal. Now, that won't land you in heaven or hell. That's a matter of your personal opinion. But if it's a matter of gospel obedience and the doctrine of truth, which we read of in the scriptures, you can't say, no, you know what? No, listen. This is important. And everyone I've spoken to is snared in Calvinism. It is certainly possible to receive not that which is offered. We move into another module of the article, which is titled Unconditional Grace. And of course, what we're going through here is may, at times, you, you may have commonly heard as the tulip system, if you will. This is over at christiancourier.com if you want to know the uh, source location of the article. Calvinists argue that grace is given to the elect unconditionally. If such is the case, then there is absolutely nothing that one must do in order to receive salvation, not even believe. You don't even need to have faith. One writer states, quote, We believe that there is no warrant whatsoever for the view that John 3.16 lays down faith as a condition to be, to be performed by the lost person in order to attain spiritual eternal life. Again, he says, quoting, God, without the use of the gospel or any other human means, will save all of his redeemed loved ones in every land and in every age. How delusional, religiously so, intoxicated must you be to believe that lie? It's easy. If you don't read the Bible, you'll believe everything else. It's that simple. Why do you think the devil doesn't want you trusting the 66 books of the Holy Bible? Why do you think the devil has made every effort imaginable to have you believe that the Bible is not trustworthy? It's not inspired. It's not the go-to place. It's not the source of religious authority. Don't trust the Bible. It's wrong. It has all kinds of contradictions. Trust your feelings. The Holy Spirit will tell you. It's a devil's lie. 
you can certainly enter into an honorable court of law with the 66 books of the Bible and logically defend the faith in which revealed therein, the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, the author's intent for the hearts of men, the redemptive scheme for mankind through Jesus Christ. Calvinism ain't it. It wasn't Catholicism, and it ain't Calvinism. And Calvinism, though John sought to protest against still held on to a great many tenets of Catholicism, as so do the ocean of denominations today, who would verbally protest against the Catholics still hold on to various tenets of the Catholics. See, we, the Christians, members of the church Jesus built, we're outside of that. Well, we don't belong to that anymore. We did, but we don't anymore. We've been set free. It's available for everyone. Jesus wants everyone to be saved. So you don't need to remain snared in these isms. Of course, the article continues and our brother Wayne says, the foregoing affirmations are ludicrous in regards to what this individual was saying that we don't even need the gospel to be saved because God has already... Then why? That's... That, oh man, I don't even know where to go with this. I mean, it's, it's difficult to wrap my mind around this. Why would God send his son to die such a violent, barbaric death, willfully so, if it wasn't necessary? Like, why does one send his son as a living sacrifice, as a loving father, if it was not necessary? It was the only way we could be saved. That's why he sent his son. There was no other way. The most intelligent, powerful creator would have certainly taken taken a different route if it was possible. It wasn't. Jesus needed to come and die for our sins. He did. Everyone can go to heaven if we believe in him and obey his gospel. It's not a matter of our meritoriously earning anything. We can't. We simply have to love him and believe in him and follow him. So the foregoing affirmations from this individual who say you don't even need to have the gospel to be saved because God has already determined, it, it is truly an affirmation of ludicrous. It's lunacy, religious lunacy. Uh, you know, Paul declares that we have, quote, access by faith into this grace, Romans 5, 2. In this discussion of grace, in his epistle to Titus, the inspired apostle states that God, quote, according to his mercy saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, being justified by His grace. Titus 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. Paul equates being saved by the washing of regeneration with being justified by grace. The washing is an allusion to man's response to God by submitting to baptism. That's exactly what that means. And if you've not been polluted by Calvinism and all the other isms of denominationalism, you can clearly read the love of Christ in that information. Grace is supplied by the Lord, independent of any merit on our part. There's a reason Paul told the brethren in Ephesus that you're saved by, uh, by grace through faith. Okay, They thought they could continue with Judaism and the law of the Old Testament in order to be justified. Hey, we have Abrahamic lineage, so we're saved. No, you're not saved by those works. 
You're not saved by works. You cannot meritoriously say since you have Abrahamic lineage and you participate in the traditions and the ordinances of Judaism that somehow you've earned your salvation with Christ. Not at all. Matter of fact, if you do that, Paul would tell the Christians in Galatia, you've fallen from his grace. And therein we find another false, erroneous doctrine from the Calvinist when they say it is impossible for one to fall from grace. You can. Paul spoke it. Jesus spoke it. The apostles spoke it. Who are you going to trust? So the article continues and says, but in the expression, uh, an allusion to baptism, even Calvin admitted that he had no doubt that Paul was alluding to baptism, though he denied the connection between baptism and salvation. He was coming close to certain things. He just couldn't allow himself to believe them. It's the same with a great many people today. Well, I believe baptism is uh, necessary because it's commanded, but it's not for salvation. When did God ever command anything to be done that was not attached to salvation? I'm only asking. I had to ask myself those same questions. Hey, man, I'm with you. The next module of the article before the conclusion is Irrevocable Grace. Calvin maintained that the elect could be certain that God would not or never allow them to fall away from the faith. Eh? Eh? They would thus persevere unto the end. A sizable segment of the Protestant movement and those who belong to uh, Protestantism, always have a hard time pronouncing that one, had adopted the doctrine to some degree or another. Charles Stanley, a prominent Baptist clergyman, has attempted to argue this case in a recent book. But the New Testament teaches otherwise. A child of God can fall from grace. Galatians 5.4. It just says it. How can it not mean what it plainly says? Context, friends, read the, read the chapter without the contaminating the contaminant influences of the do- the false doctrines we've been snared in. Read with a free-thinking mind. Galatians 5.4 plainly says it. How can you fall from a location you were never found in? Explain to me that one. Why would Paul say you have fallen from grace if an individual has never fallen from grace? Oh, he was never a Christian is what they say. That's a devil's lie. That's a devil's lie. Of course they were Christians. Paul was speaking to brethren who had been born again, immersed into Christ. They were Christians. Men don't make Christians. God makes Christians. So you can say, well, I'm a Christian because I chose to follow Jesus. That don't mean nothing. God is the one who says if you're a Christian or not. And he says so when you were born into his family. How are you born into his family? Out of water and the spirit. And what location is his family? His kingdom, his body, the church he built. That's when you're given the family name. If you're born in my family, you are a Maya. If you're born in the family of God, you are a Christian. A Christian. And you can choose a free will as a Christian, once you have been born again and forgiven of sins, to return to the world and neglect and reject Jesus all over again and be found lost with the lost all over again. You've fallen from grace. God didn't create robots. Calvinism is a lie. But the New Testament teaches otherwise a child of God can fall from grace. 
Galatians 5.4, or fail, in other words, fall back from the Lord's favor. Hebrews 12.15, and you can also see various other verses that say the same thing. If it's possible to deny the master who bought you and so be destroyed, 2 Peter 2.1, thus we must keep ourselves in God's love, Jude 21, and give diligence to make our calling and election sure. 2 Peter 1.10, lest our reception of divine grace be in vain, 2 Corinthians 6, 1. So in conclusion, while we acknowledge that John Calvin taught some truth, we must also recognize that he advocated much error, and that error must be rejected because it does not lead to heaven, friends. That was an article from ChristianCourier.com. Obviously, I shared some of my studies and my thoughts together along with that, but we are wise to understand this information, and we are wise to ask, seek, and knock. Read the Bible for yourself. I can't repeat this enough. Don't get angry at me. Open the Bible and read it for yourself. If you start reading it for yourself, you'll quickly recognize that there ain't nothing in there having to do with all these religious bodies that claim to be Christian organizations. That does not mean that you will not find morally upright, decent, loving, kind human beings in all these organizations. It has nothing to do with their character. Many of them have a very uh, loving and, and, and uh, peaceful character and behavior. It has to do with what they are believing is sending them to eternal punishment while they so firmly convince themselves they are headed towards heaven and the priest is going to usher me into the heavenly clouds. It's a lie. It's not true. Calvinism, Catholicism, all the isms of denominationalism, friends, we Christ came to set us free from that. The Gospel of John Jesus was seeking to set his people free from the clutches of all those isms. The religious governing body of leadership, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, more so of the Sadducees' worldview, the elders, and uh, the elders who were in cooperation with the chief priest and in opposition with the Pharisees. And then you had the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes, all of these. Christ came to liberate the people from their clutches, but they all thought themselves good with God. They weren't, they were not. And just as Christ came to liberate the people from uh, the falsehoods of the day, it is remaining true to our, to our generation still. Christ can set us free from the tenets of denominationalism. Imagine how much influence and love we could have and how much unity in our communities if we all belong to the church Jesus built. We're quick to understand that when it comes to politics. We're quick to say, oh, that's the wicked woke left. And we can recognize the wicked woke left because we use logic and science. And we can recognize that 
Wow. There is great lunacy, insanity, and delusional worldviews in the woke left who practice in descriptive political ways social Marxism, fascism, socialism, communism. We can recognize that, you and I, don't we? Why is it that we can't do the same when it comes to religion and Christianity? Imagine how God would bless us if we did. If we let go all the isms of the denominational world and we all united together under the church Jesus built and we practice what Jesus prayed for, unity under the same doctrine in the same church, Paul himself rebuked even the whisper and the beginning points of departure and denominationalism. The church Jesus built all believe the same thing. That's how we can recognize each other as brothers and sisters. Oh, you're a Christian? How did you become a Christian? If your answer is not the same in which we see recorded in the scriptures, then friends, there's a problem somewhere. We're not like-minded. I see the world claiming to be united in their division. It's a contradiction. It's a walking contradiction. We have to let go all the isms. Catholicism, Calvinism, Protestantism, all the isms. We have to let it go. We have to follow Jesus. Nah, what are you going to do? Okay, that's it for this session. I truly appreciate your kind attention. Stay focused and stay positive. The topic of our day was John Calvin and Grace. And we went through uh, very quickly, if you will, the various tenets of their worldview and how it is erroneous to the holy text, the Bible and Jesus Christ and his teaching and his, and his ministry. If you would like, please consider subscribing to the channel. Give us a thumbs up. Leave a comment. Share the link far and wide. Please sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. It's free to do so, but you can subscribe. Uh, you can uh, support monthly. No amount is too low or too high. You will have access to a growing exclusive content uh, category. And it certainly helps the Added Souls ministry move forward through the Maya family, my wife and I, my children, my parents, and the mission work we are involved with this new and wonderful work uh, with the East Coast Church of Christ.com. Stay focused and stay positive. Lord willing, we shall meet each other again next time. Peace out.